My name is Christopher Peter and welcome to the Christopher Peter Review, your source for common sense commentary centered on facts, evidence, and data. For the new viewers in the audience, the Christopher Peter Review markets original podcasts discussing salient current events, focusing on ones that impact our public policy, national economic outcomes, and overall society. I thank you in advance for your viewership. In this episode, I am going to discuss the need for greater transparency in our society and what that would look like. Then I will join Jennifer for the CRC conversation to discuss recent current events that we believe you should be interested in. So let us begin this special edition of the Christopher Peter Review. The Government Accountability Office is accusing most colleges and universities of not being completely transparent in what the true cost of attendance is for their respective institution. In their study, most of the centers of higher learning did not provide a complete picture of the costs or had misleading verbiage. Ideally, student borrowers would know the total amount needed to finance or pay outright for each year of attendance. Some may show the cost of tuition for classes and housing, but not the ancillary fees charged. Or other required fees necessary to fully enroll. Furthermore, the term award or gift may be misleading when the amounts are actually loans or work study, which would require you to actually show up and work off those hours. There is a tradition in our society that consumers need to be aware of what they are signing up for and buyers are typically responsible for doing the research. As long as the providers are not purposefully concealing the information, the buyer can reasonably be expected to know what they are agreeing to and buying. Not be blinded with the goods or services purchased. But, student borrowers may be ill-equipped to fully grasp what they are agreeing to. Especially since they may be pursuing the major that will provide the needed skill well after the first instance of needing that skill set. According to the GAO, schools should be able to tell students that the 40 to 50,000 they charge covers all expenses for that year. That would mean that they are being completely transparent. If you are interested in the accusation against these institutions, the article from the Wall Street Journal can be accessed on my blog page. We generally want our power brokers in society, whether being our economic providers or government actors to be transparent. When we buy the newest iPhone or Android, we want Apple, Samsung or our phone providers to help us understand what we are paying for and what they will be doing in areas that we do not see. What do they do with our data, information, and location? What services are part of each package and what are the additional costs that actually make the services work? Nothing is worse than hearing an app is free, then realizing that it has a free version, but the real version you want requires a charge. That is not transparent. We expect when we invest in a company the money is not transferred elsewhere and no longer available to us. We hope that the institution is being honest when they show us what our available balances are. Especially in an economy where the whole system is built on trust and confidence in the people and organizations that help create the goods and services and buy those produced goods and services. Trust that the product or service is what is expected. Trust that the buyer fully intends to pay as promised. This is why there is a real need for regulation and credit agencies to keep people on the up and up. Transparency is also essential in our political world. Essential but even harder to find in the public sector than the private sector. In the private sector, violations of the public trust can be dealt with fairly quickly. But, the public sector moves at a much different speed with many twists and turns. And much of the accountability is left to the voters, so a non-transparent politician can survive two, four, or six years at the very least before voters decide change is needed. So what would a transparent government look like? For starters, the elected officials would advocate for the policies promised during the campaign trail and provide full accounting for situations where there is a real inability to pursue a policy goal. There are many things said on the campaign trail that are not realistic, not ideal, or not feasible. There really is nothing wrong in a politician saying after seeing the facts unknown during the campaign that their promise was not the right path forward. Instead, 
our elected officials will use narratives to cast blame on their political opponents and others. There is little transparency in government. A lesson I learned during an internship involving public relations was that an effective message campaign in politics is not one based necessarily on the truth, but one that has stickiness to it. Intriguing enough to catch the attention of the audience and repeated enough that it becomes normalized. That is why we see so many politicians will continue to repeat messaging even when the actual facts counter their narratives. For instance, we see the current administration continually claim that the American economy is strong and that we are not heading into a recession. Even when the data shows otherwise. That is because they know the broadest population of our society is economically illiterate. So repetitive messaging focused on one positive stat will help normalize the inaccurate statement. In our current environment, the stifling of opposing views can help make that message more normalized. We saw during the pandemic all the people who rigidly parroted the narratives on either side. And now we know there was a great effort to control the narrative. Labeling everything disinformation to prevent question or pushback. How could the government have demonstrated a greater level of transparency? Well, they could have been more honest about the vaccine and how it was not the panacea, but a reasonable approach to preventing the worst-case scenarios. They could have done more to find the actual cause of the pandemic, not just advancing the notion that a diet of infected bats was the cause. We all get that there is an agenda to cajole action in society, but the government's lack of transparency has left a genuine distrust. The question I think we have to ask ourselves as a society is whether we truly want transparency. We seem to want a more open government. Not a partisan sentiment, but one shared across the political spectrum. Do we only want it when people with a bias against are in a position of power or should transparency be a universal standard for society? That is a question we need to answer. Are we going to continue being skeptical of people who hold different viewpoints, have different demographics, or behave in a different manner than we expect? Are we going to continue to lack any sense of introspection and never question or challenge our own beliefs? A wise man once told me that we should not focus on seeing things positively or negatively, but realistically and accurately. In a family discussion during the holiday, as is the case in most holidays for most people, subjects can turn into political debates. The person saw a news story in the framework of Democrat and Republican and was somewhat taken aback when I remarked that the issue was not one of partisanship, but a clear right and wrong. The impact of the downward spiral of our national political discourse is that we as a society view things in the framework of how they impact the political party or candidate we support. Many have found comfort in only experiencing news information that confirms their own biases, viewpoints, and belief systems. We do not always seek transparency in our own lives by challenging those beliefs to experience new information, facts, evidence, and data, which can also strengthen our views when they stand up to a thorough evaluation. People want to be perceived as normal, right, and knowledgeable. But, the fact of life is that there is always more to know and we need to be honest with ourselves and see things how they really are and accurately understand the challenges and opportunities of life. A challenge to achieving real transparency is the inability for people to directly confirm the facts, evidence, and data of every salient issue, event, or topic. That is why we rely on institutions like the press and education systems. The press is a vital institution not meant to serve the market for cute animal videos, but the need to educate the public and hold power brokers accountable by shedding light on actions and decisions made in the dark regardless of who is making those decisions and actions. Objectivity is essential in transparency because there are inconvenient truths that people need to be able to understand and accept. But, the truths must be wherever they are found, not just conveniently exposed for one group and not the other. The main reason why the American public has consistently distrusted news organizations, polling organizations, and social media companies is because of the purposeful biases and manicured content meant to achieve a pre-established political objective. 
there is no transparency until well after when the public finds out that journalists, organizational leaders, and the subjects covered had an agenda and manipulated content to impact how you understand critical issues and events. They did not allow you to perceive these topics in a realistic or accurate manner. Our society is based on the people, but also on the trustworthiness of the people. Our economy is based on the trust of those providers and consumers operating in the markets. Without transparency, there cannot be any trust. Regulation does not solve trust issues if we cannot trust the intentions and accuracy of those we hold accountable for maintaining trust. Our focus for the future needs to be building transparency in our institutions and we will see the greater level of trust return. My name is Jennifer Smith and welcome to the CRC Conversation segment on the Christopher Peter Review. One area of our society where trust has fully eroded has been in our elections, where transparency has been questioned by both sides of the aisles. In the past, the general public knew the results of our elections on the night of election day. A sentiment frequently echoed by those on the right. Now, our election cycle has become so convoluted in a manner that there are legitimate reasons people are starting to distrust the results. Every year we see outages and issues that should have been resolved long before. Election day is not a new thing. People question why equipment fails when it is only used for such a small time period each year. Every issue with the perceived quality of the operations and the people running the polls will lead to questions of the legitimacy of the outcomes. Remember when Democrat supporters of Al Gore challenged the outcome of the 2000 presidential election because they would not accept the results of a close election that depended on a tight race in Florida. There was no proof of fraud or bad behavior, but a drawn-out convoluted process that went well into December. I guess they were early election deniers. Now, there is a growth of mail-in ballots and unsupervised drop-off locations, there are reasons to suspect that there are more opportunities for foul play. Now, that may not be the case but questionable situations create perceptions. Perceptions can be reality that is hard to overcome for some. I firmly believe that people should vote on election day. Informed voters vote based on all the available facts, data, and evidence. Hard to do that when you cast your ballot before the primary ends. I guess you would just drop off another one if you changed your mind. Can we be certain that it will not be counted a second time? But, how can we improve our election so that neither Republicans nor Democrats will feel the need to question the credibility of our fair and free elections? The political division in our society will always lead to questions from the side that does not prevail. Not a new phenomenon but, one that is more amplified in our current political environment. The narratives around who is an election denier is new, but the reality is both sides have questioned elections. Every time there is a failure in the process and people are impacted there should be questions raised. Certain events are simply held to a higher standard than others. If there is a delay when getting your morning coffee, it is inconvenient, but the worst outcome is that you will not get your favorite caffeinated drink that morning. But, if there are delays that prevent you from exercising your constitutional rights and impact your economic outcomes, social freedoms, and community safety, then you want to know why it happened and what is going to be done to make sure it never happens again. As you stated, there should not really be failures and issues when this is a once-a-year event. At least the coffee shop is dealing with wear and tear from constant use. But, election day comes only once a year. So we expect the governments to be better prepared. The equipment should be tested and ensured that it will not fail on the day it is actually needed. Like the Super Bowl is one day of the year. Should everyone have the power outage experienced in 2012? For states, election day is your Super Bowl. Do better. A major area of opportunity is doing more to expedite the count of ballots and the transparency in the count. States need to be able to count faster. 
Also, I just do not see either Republicans or Democrats fully accepting an election that is more positive for their opponent than themselves. Not in a divided society. A staple of conservative economics is the presence of limited government in an economic realm, which would call for limited interventions in the economic activities of our society. People should negotiate their own agreements. People are better arbiters of their own interests than the government. But, the government does intervene in our economic activities. And sometimes there is a good reason. Rail companies and the unions representing rail workers across America continue to struggle in reaching and certifying agreement on their respective collective bargaining agreement. Before the midterms, there was an agreement on both sides to table the issue and debate until after the election in order for the dispute to not influence how our politically divided pool of voters would cast their ballots. Negotiators for both sides came to agreement, which needed to be ratified by the respective members of the unions. The members did not go along with the negotiated terms, rejecting the measure and setting up the stage for potential negative externalities for our national economy. To prevent any economic damage, Joe Biden pleaded with Congress to act by passing legislation to force the implementation of the agreement. Congress had the option to force more negotiations, force the implementation, or to add certain enhancements. It chose to force the implementation as is. This is not the first time Congress has acted. Numerous interventions took place since the 1960s. Do we agree with the approach? I think we all would prefer that the membership would reach an agreement without the need for congressional intervention. A problem with many unionized industries is that workers can bring the industry to a halt for their own economic interest. Like we saw with some health unions during the COVID pandemic. Somehow the label of greed is only placed on one side of the equation. Fortunately for American consumers, there is a law allowing Congress the ability to avert the impact of a work stoppage in the rail industry. I can imagine rail workers will not be happy with the situation as the government essentially is telling them that enough is enough and get back to work. Not a fan of much government intervention, but allowing the rail companies to experience a strike would be catastrophic for an economy that seems poised for a decline or at the very least stagnation. Twitter has been experiencing a great level of controversy from those on the left who are comfortable using questionable services like TikTok. I guess using a service that is a threat to our national security is more acceptable to the progressives than a service that is simply seeking to rebalance fairness in social media. But, now we are more aware of how far one of the largest social media platforms went to manipulate our political debates and outcomes. Combined with the obvious censorship of conservatives and bot accounts that amplified radical voices. So what should we make of the social media challenges experienced in our society? I think Twitter is still intriguing, but there needs to be more structure in place that will allow the platform to afford respectful free speech while ensuring that the people are not imposter accounts or bot accounts. I think we need to accept the fact there are no safe spaces in life. People are going to hold different views than you do and neither you nor they have to alter just to appease the feelings of the other. We have to accept that we can differ in our perspectives and opinions without feeling that others are existential threats to our democracy or existence in the world. Everything is so amplified these days for political fear. Disinformation and misinformation is a problem for society. But something is not misinformation or disinformation simply because you do not agree with the position on an emotional level or you do not like the demographic of the messenger. So much of what was called misinformation or disinformation by Twitter and other social media platforms turned out to be true. Now, We find out that Twitter acted in coordination with a political campaign to manage information that could be or not be troubling to the general public. The public should have decided whether it was impactful or not. Not social media moderators. Moderation should not be a buzzword to cover for political censorship. Also, 
we seem to be universally recognizing that TikTok is a national security threat. And we might not be able to trust the concessions it made in the past. Like alternative currency, Americans should be more skeptical about the legitimacy of services before jumping in blindly. Our economic and diplomatic enemies are facing unrest for different reasons. In China, people are pushing back due to the COVID lockdowns related to the zero COVID policies. China is taking extreme measures to control the spread of the virus and advance vaccinations. In Iran, people were taking to the streets to protest treatment of some women protesters, which is causing a larger movement to advocate against the iron-fisted response of the oppressive regime. For these two oppressive regimes, public uprisings are usually met with equally strong suppression measures. Should we care about these events or is this much ado about nothing? We do have some interest in both matters. Obviously, the situation in China is of greater concern for Americans because the zero-COVID policy is impacting the manufacturing strongholds in China. From what I read, some buildings are being locked from the outside by officials preventing people from leaving their residences. If these individuals do not return to work, it might further create supply issues here in America. Not just for iPhones but medical equipment and a host of other materials. For Iran, the argument against the re-entry of the ill-fated Iran deal will grow stronger. Why should American taxpayer funds go towards an oppressive regime that directly counters our values and freedoms? Luckily for workers in China, it seems like there has been some level of scaling back. But there is no silver lining with Iran. We cannot make the same mistake as we did under Obama. Finally, many companies seem to delay their layoff notices until after the midterm election. If you are a tech company, then there is a good chance you are laying off at least 10,000 of your employees and or canceling open positions. Overall employment numbers still seem strong, but as these layoffs happen, the numbers may trend lower. Inflation has lowered a bit thanks to the hard work of the people at the Federal Reserve. But our economic environment still appears quite challenging heading into the holidays. Not a sentiment that we would want Americans to have as they prepare for the holiday season. Usually, we want people to be hopeful in order to spend money that will stimulate the economy. But inflation and a general sense of dissatisfaction in the economy may cause people to tighten the purse strings this year. I think the economy might be headed for a deeper recession. The state of the American economy does not appear to be positive. We are in a moment in time where we are grasping for good news. For instance, we see pundits reference certain stats in isolation to predict we are either in the clear or in trouble. In reality, any economy is a collective of stats. For instance, a low unemployment rate may appear good but not when there is a low employment participation rate at the same time. A positive growth rate may be troubling when we see companies start to lay off staff and cut future outlooks. Politics in general requires people to frame narratives to control how people react. But, I believe that our economic position is not ideal and could be troubling going forward. We clearly do not have a pro-growth administration. But, the people typically drive the economic recovery in spite of ineffective public policy. In closing, I hope that we need to not see the world exclusively as Republican, Democrat, Conservative, or Liberal. We need our salient issues with a realistic point of view and accurately understand the facts, evidence, and data. We need transparency in a free people-driven society and economy. I thank Jennifer for her continued contributions. Also, I thank the audience for taking the time to experience this episode of the Christopher Peter Review Podcast. We truly appreciate your viewership and continue to collaborate to ensure we offer common sense and informative content. The Christopher Peter Review features not only this podcast, but feature commentary from Christopher Peter and news coverage via yours truly. 
please continue to visit the Christopher Peter Review channel at www.crcrvw.com daily for new podcast episodes, commentary, news coverage, and curated news content as well. Our focus is always providing objective common sense analytical content centered on facts, evidence, and data. We leave the partisanship and political hysteria to other sources. Thank you once again for experiencing this podcast episode and we will see you next time.